welcome to Possibilities Podcast, where we will be in conversation with ideas, people, and practices that stretch our sense of what is possible, have made me possible, and create possibilities for all of us. Thank you all for joining us today. Our guest for this episode is the amazing scintillating star, Kylie May. Kylie May is a two-spirit, indigenous, transgender, multidisciplinary artist and storyteller. She's an actor, emerging screenwriter, filmmaker, and author. You may know her from her recurring role as assistant pathologist River Bates on the CBC on the hit CBC show Coroner, and her roles in It Chapter Two, Woman Dress, and the upcoming The D Cut. She's a real pro. Kylie is someone who's just lovely, brilliant, and radiant. Uh, she offers so much honesty and vulnerability and genius in this interview. And we actually got to do the interview in person just last week. We were at uh, Wild Seed, which is the center of activism and art that's run by Black Lives Matter Toronto. Thank you so much to BLMTO and especially Raven for letting us use it. Uh, we were safe and socially distant, uh, but it was nice to share the room with Kylie and feel the energy in person. I also want to acknowledge that this episode comes during Indigenous History Month and is sandwiched between Indigenous Peoples Day, which was this past Sunday on June 21st, and Pride, which is going to happen this coming weekend. Kylie May is Haudenosaunee Mohawk and Total Clan from Six Nations Reserve, and she was the 2017 Pride Youth Ambassador uh, for Toronto Pride. So the timing of this interview happens to be particularly serendipitous. And at this very moment, as I'm recording this intro on Wednesday, June 24th, the Afro-Indigenous Rising Collective is in its fifth day of an occupation of Toronto City Hall, protesting the police killings of Black and Indigenous people that has been happening all over Canada. Uh, they're demanding abolishing the police, which is something that Minneapolis has done. So it can be done here too. Before we dive in, I just want to give a content warning. Uh, there is conversation of suicide in this episode between the 10 and 12 minute mark. Please do what you need to do to take care of yourself. We love you. Okay, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Kylie May. space it's really amazing um how are you doing how are you doing in this time i have been uh i've been dealing mm -hmm. but uh i'm really good i'm doing okay at the beginning it was kind of rough um i have depression and i have like mental health struggles so in the beginning when everything was like you know like when the panic was hitting the covid panic yeah it really got to me um and I, I realized I was starting to get triggered, like my, it was kicking in, like my like depression and anxiety, but then I just took a break and did what I needed to do to take care of myself. Uh, but I'm okay now. So I've been, you know, implemented my self-care. I amped up my self-care mm -hmm. and was just really um, careful and tender with myself. But now I'm okay. Like I'm really doing good yeah and and are you, how is the new like there's so much news coming out there's so much like intense news coming out sometimes and uh, i mean a lot these days and are you taking it in are you not trying not to take in too much yeah so my thing with news is i do my best not to watch the news because mm -hmm. It's important to be informed and to keep up to date, but I think it's very beneficial to have a filter or to have a limit with the news intake. So, um, you know, I go through periods where it's like, okay, I need to know what's going on in the world. Yeah. But also when things get too much, I just completely block everything out. I deliberately do not watch news or I don't, you know, if I see things on, um, like news feeds, like Twitter or Instagram, because I follow a lot of hashtags. Um, yeah. Or even when you don't, like you can't escape a lot of it. Like totally. what's happening with so much violence against the black community and trans community. And um, it's really painful. But, mm -hmm. um, and I'm like really sensitive to seeing violence. Yeah. And it's horrible and it's traumatizing to the spirit. So 
You know, I've just been really careful with um, keeping up to date, but also protecting myself. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, last time when we talked, you had mentioned that you talk, you think of yourself as like a positive person, an optimistic person. Uh, and I, as a Sagittarius, I also very much relate to that. Um, and um, how are you able to tap in every now and then to optimism and positivity? How, what is your relationship to that now? Yeah, uh, I have been, and that's what I've been doing. I recently discovered something online, just list, like learning about, because I'm, like, as you mentioned, I do my best to always keep myself in a positive frame of mind. Um, I guess I'm known for my optimism. People remark on it, so just like being positive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a result of survival, of having to be resilient mm-hmm. in everything that I've overcome because being uh, trans, two-spirit, and indigenous coming from communities that are so oppressed, like I've seen, you know, I've there's been like a lot of fallen sisters, people who succumb to like this systemic burden and mm-hmm. just like want to tap out of life. And so I think for my own survival, I've experienced a lot of violence and discrimination, but you know, positivity and optimism and being hopeful is how I combat everything. Mm. Um, So I have a lot of practices that keep me in that frame of mind, you know, like meditation, Mm. um, you know, positive uh, affirmations. I watch a lot of comedy when things like Mm -hmm. I've been watching so much more stand-up comedy during this period and it really lifts my spirits. Mm -hmm. You know, my own... um, indigenous practices like um, traditional medicines praying just really um and like gassing myself up Mm because sometimes you have to gas yourself up when no one else does you know um but i recently discovered something very recently called toxic positivity which i didn't know was a thing and i was like oh yes that makes so much sense toxic positivity being you know when you just constantly talk about everything being great and going well, and you don't acknowledge mm-hmm. what's not going well. And I asked myself, I was like, am I being a tox, a positively <laughs> toxic person? Mm. So, um, you know, but I've, I acknowledge what goes on. I stop and I take those moments and I speak about it, um, but it's really made me contemplate how I talk about um overcoming things or being positive so being real but also being optimistic without ignoring what's going on yeah yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and you got to find you, you got to ride the line the way you can you know yeah and that's uh i mean the other thing you know that i was thinking about was that as so much energy is happening people are out in the streets there's so much urgency it feels like um and, you know, uh, you know, the cracks of the system are so clear. And even though I think in Canada, we're not talking about it in the depth as, as we see it in the States, maybe. But I wanted to ask you about the importance of like stillness and slowing down, because, you know, what you told me that after university, um, you kind of took time off. You did you sat and did nothing for a while except be present for your transition and your depression Tell me about the time. Tell me about how stillness, what did stillness yield for you? Well, you know, I am a person who has a tendency to keep myself really busy and productive. And usually I take on too much. Mm-hmm. I used to have a problem with saying no. I used to say yes to everything. But that was a hard lesson to learn to start saying no to things. But generally, I'm just, I have a lot going on. And I've definitely experienced burnout. There were times in my life where it was just too much and um, I needed to just take a time out. But I realized when I graduated university, this was 2012, uh, no, 2013. I started my transition in 2012. And then when I graduated like a year later, I had this really weird, almost like a quarter life existential crisis Because I didn't know, I thought I wanted to be a journalist and I became so disillusioned in school and realized that's not what I wanted to do. And in my heart and in the back of my mind, I wanted to act, I wanted to perform, I wanted to sing, but I was like committed to this very academic career plan I had. 
then, I, you know, so I was thinking I just spent like five years in university pursuing this degree and this career and I don't want to do that. And I was just at this crossroads, I guess, of like, well, what am I going to do with myself? And also I was at the beginning of my transition and and there were things that happened um, like the next year in 2014, experiencing a lot of loss and grief. Uh, mm. You know, my little sister developed cancer. She had leukemia. And so that was a huge, difficult thing for me and my family to deal with. She's okay now. She's healthy, but it was a very scary Mm -hmm. time. And also my partner, my ex-partner at the time, who was the first man I ever fell in love with, he died by suicide. And those two experiences just like, it tore me down. Mm -hmm. And I, my trigger our, um, my depression flared up and, and then I was in it. So I, at a, in a sense of my career, I was lost. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. And then I was transitioning. I was like on the cusp of becoming who I really am, like just entering like my womanhood. And then these tragic events happened. So there was just this period where, um, I didn't do anything. I just existed, which was really unusual for me because as I mentioned, I, I'm always busy. I'm always on the go. I'm always doing things. But in this period, I just sort of existed. I transitioned. I took care of myself. And it was just a long period of grief and depression. But what came out of it was time to contemplate mm-hmm. what I wanted to do, where I was going with my life, what was important for me. Um, and in that time, I made the decision to just go for it, to listen to that voice in my heart and in my mind about wanting to pursue a career in the arts is performing, Mm -hmm. um, being a performer, an actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I did. So it was a quiet time. I describe it as like being stuck in the mud or just like in this dark era. But I feel like there are some things that can be gleaned from those experiences. And I Mm -hmm. learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, what sticks out to me is, that, you know, it seems like you figured out what, what what mattered to you. Yeah. Is that, yeah. And move forward with that. Yeah. Well, I, I chose myself because mm-hmm. I realized up until that point, I feel like I was trying to please people. I was doing like what was expected of me. Um, I'd always been scholarly and academic and like a overachiever in school. And I thought that that was the smart, logical thing to do was to pursue a career in journalism but and also like not transitioning was what kept me from not transitioning was like my family and Mm -hmm. my community and that fear and internalized stigma and shame and then I just got to this point where I was like you know what screw everybody I can't please everybody so I might as well just please myself and I did it and I went after what I wanted to do and pursued my dreams and my passions yeah you're you're an artist you became you've have a career as an artist but you also been an artist since you were a toddler right yeah. uh, <laughs> which is awesome yeah. <laughs> um, and you know like, you draw you act you sing you write and but you've called transitioning your greatest work of art so tell me what keeps your artistic fire fueled and like what are your inspirations what are your daily rituals how do you how do you tend to the fire I think I'm just uh, inherently a very artistic, creative person. Like I can't, it's always there. Mm. I can never shut it off. It's just, um, I don't know. I've always been that way, just like performative, artistic, theatrical. Um, But, you know, there are times where I've neglected it. Like when I was in university, that entire time, I, I felt like my inner artist was being deprived and I wasn't, you know, tending to that fire, as you mentioned. But so now I just always have outlets. As a Gemini, like my brain is an ideas factory. Like my brain is constantly going, you know, like so many ideas. Um, So because I just have this very artistic, creative spirit, I make sure that I have different outlets or mediums for this creativity it's writing, mm-hmm. you know, um, working on my first book. I got into screenwriting. I've done creative mm-hmm. writing. I do some like journalism writing, sometimes mm-hmm. articles. 
in acting, like I do acting. Yeah. I was in theater school for a while. Right. Um, and even when I'm not on the job acting, I'm in acting classes. Right. I love performing. Um, I'm taking, you know, singing lessons and I'm going to start piano lessons soon. Wow. Um, but the thing, the piece that's missing, interestingly, is my sketching. I used to draw and sketch all the time. And um, I want to get back to that. I always tell myself, like, why don't I do that? I was so good at it and I want to eventually pursue painting. Yeah. So just always having a way to let that flow out of me mm. and doing my best to not neglect, you know, that fire like I have in the past. Yeah, that's amazing. And and do you like when you say that transitioning is your greatest work of art, is it like an ongoing art project that's going to continue yeah. for the rest of your life? Like what how do you tell me more about that? Yeah, so the reason um, I started conceiving of myself as an art project or a form of art is because, you know, when I started transitioning and even listening to the stories of a lot of other trans people, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of bigotry and uh, attitudes where people who are not trans will make comments about somebody's transition. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I started transitioning, I had people who I thought were friends or who I thought were allies, but later found out were not, would ask me things like, well, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Mm -hmm. That's really, that's a big decision. Like, are you like, mm -hmm. are you sure that's what you want to do? What if you regret it? Or mm -hmm. people trying to discourage me from, um, transition like having surgery or transitioning mm -hmm. and even some from like my family which was hurtful at the time but they've grown they've come such a long way so my family's grown with me on my journey but what I realized was you know and also just on a larger scale like there's a public online oh my gosh don't get me started yeah. about people online uh -huh. <laughs> but just like even seeing comments about trans content whether it's on YouTube or Instagram where trolls or people who just don't understand will say things like well that was the way god made you and you shouldn't change who you are because you're you're going against what god is honoring who you are yeah <laughs> and i'm just like could you really not yeah. but so what i started telling myself and then talking out loud into existence was the way i think of myself and my body is when i was born the creator or the universe or goddess or our alien architects however you want to conceive right. of it gave us our body and our life as our gift to us mm. and I think of the way I started my life or my you know my body when I entered this world was like a blank canvas or like a block of marble mm -hmm. and I'm the artist and I can paint whatever beautiful reality onto that canvas or chisel whatever artwork out of that block of marble that I want to mm -hmm. and the other piece is a lot of people constantly ask me about my transition and my surgeries which is really messed up just don't ask trans people about their surgeries or transitions not your business, not your business. Yeah. Um, but the question that really irks me is when people say uh, they ask me are is your transition complete or are you complete or are you a full woman? And I'm just like, that is so messed up. And so what I always say is like, well, first of all, that's not right for you to ask me about my body. Yeah. And secondly, I'm never complete. And there's no one path for any person to transition. Everyone does it differently. Some people don't have a medical transition at all. Mm -hmm. But I just realized, I was like, I'm never going to be complete. And I'm just an ongoing walking performance art piece. Or just, yeah. I, or like, I am my own artwork. And me transitioning and doing what I want to do for myself is sort of like a, yeah, just, just an art project. And I'm constantly crafting myself and manifesting myself in the vision that I see myself as, which is beautiful and a wonderful human being yeah I mean that's so powerful because we need to see the three-dimensionality we need to see like we are everybody is always changing nobody's yes. static yes people are fluid we are fluid beings that are ever evolving I don't believe anybody's just like you know stuck in one being or existence I conceive of myself in like a very kaleidoscopic entities like mm. constantly shifting and evolving very mercurial so 
an ongoing artwork. As a Gemini always is, <laughs> very mercurial. You're a Haudenosaunee Mohawk um, turtle clan from Six Nations uh, Reserve, so you grew up on the res. Um, you went to a Mohawk immersion school. Yeah. As a kid, which means that you know you were immersed in uh, traditional indigenous cultural practices and uh, since an early age, which you know is, is is such a blessing and gift that I mean, it, or it could be it can be complicated. Yeah, I know there are some st- teachings that are meant to stay within the community. That, but what are is, is there something you could share with us about what teachings you hold close, and what about who are the teachers who gave you those teachings that kind of ground you even today? You know, I will say that I grew up on reserve. I grew up on Six Nations on the res, um, and I grew up in a traditional family. My mother actually was the one who did the work to sort of reclaim our traditions because not everybody, you know, on the reserve or not every indigenous person, you know, follows traditions or speaks a language. Some people don't want to, or some Mm -hmm. people want to and can't access it for various, you know, colonial systemic reasons. Mm -hmm. But my family, um, my mother reclaimed it, so I grew up with those being reintegrated back into our family. And as you mentioned, when I was younger, I actually kind of pushed back against it because I felt like it was a burden, like my mother was placing this responsibility and always speaking about the importance of learning our language and keeping these ancient like practices and customs and traditions alive. And, you know, so I went to... Gawaneo, which is a Mohawk language and cultural immersion school. And so we learned so many of these things and traditions and going to Longhouse, which is like our place of ceremony where mm-hmm. we conduct our ceremonies and do everything. So yeah, I come from a Longhouse family. Haudenosaunee translates to the people of a Longhouse. Mm-hmm. And the Longhouse beliefs are basically, um, it's more of a, like a philosophy. It's a worldview. It's a way of being. Um so there was a lot that I learned. When I grew up, I eventually realized how important it was. And now I agree it's important. But um, I've always been an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. I've always been my own person, even within my family. So there were some things I didn't agree with or that didn't you know, really vibe with me right. within my teachings, but a lot that did. And it really shaped who I became. So yes, there are a lot of like traditions that are very sacred that are not meant to be shared a lot of teachings, but there are a grander, um, a bigger teachings or principles that can be. So in basically, you know, we have the great law. We have very basic principles in Haudenosaunee teachings like skana, gatsunstasala, dahnu, gatnukonglio. So skana is like peace, like having a peaceful mind. Gatsunstasala is like having strength or it's like about I've also heard it translated as equality, just mm-hmm. like working towards equality. And Gatnikon Leo is having a good mind. Mm. Like really basic principles. Like honestly, what I can break being Haudenosaunee down to is just being a good person, having a good heart, good mind, treat everybody equally and with respect and honor the earth and take care of earth and all of the cycles of nature. Mm. Again, it's really basic, but... um. It seems revolutionary almost in the sometimes yeah. in yeah. capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. But of course there are things that I still struggle with, like being two spirit, being indigenous, uh, transgender, you know, a lot of what I struggle with is trying to educate my community and family to unlearn how a lot of colonial Christian or Victorian ideologies have influenced a lot Mm -hmm. of indigenous teachings and customs like so there's you know like patriarchal views or like sexism or some misogyny I've experienced but also this very binary understanding of gender Mm -hmm. and trying to bring back an understanding of two-spirit people because you know like two-spirit history and identities um, is sort of uh, we have our own movement happening. There's a uh, uh, reclaiming, understanding all around, but I feel like it's not happening in my community. Mm. And that needs to happen. Mm. You know, like our ceremonies and even at Longhouse are very gendered. There's the men's side and the women's side. And there's it's very binary, which was really hard when I transitioned. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't gone back in a long time because I'm just like, 
it's not that I don't feel welcomed. I just feel like I'm not understood. So mm-hmm. a lot of beautiful things in my community and in my teachings, but a lot that needs to change and to, well, not change, go back to the way it was before, mm-hmm. like hundreds of years ago when T-spirit people, when transgender, gender nonconforming people existed and were part of communities and were integrated into the social fabric and were honored and sacred beings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I hear, I mean, I hear as, you know, I grew up in a South Asian family and my, I was also very rebellious against every teaching that they ever gave me. I was like, no, I'm not into this. And then as I got older, I was like, I had a more complicated relationship where I was like, oh, some things make a lot of sense. Some things really don't make a lot of sense. And I I totally, in a very different way, uh, can relate. And the other thing that I can also relate to is like the sense of you grew up in the res, but you call Toronto your home. And, uh, you know, it, you know, in part because, you know, as you were talking about, it doesn't feel fully safe and acceptable. You don't feel fully accepted where you, uh, in your wholeness, maybe. Yeah. So you've described yourself as someone who's straddling between worlds. Yes. As a non-binary immigrant person in a different way than you. But I feel like I I really understand. I can feel, I feel that thread. And so I was wondering, what do you think are the challenges of straddling between the worlds? And what do you think are the gifts yeah, I'm glad you framed it that way. It's So it is a challenge. So I struggled and am still struggling and working through and trying to like reconcile and overcome my own history of trauma and abuse and bullying from people in my community. And it was like, especially in my formative years and even like kind of recently there are some things that happened that just basically growing up, just being me, being queer, even before I transitioned, I was a very feminine male. Everyone tagged me as gay, (laughs) I think even before I knew I was. And then also after realizing I was trans and then transitioning, just like how having so many experiences where I'm reminded of how much people need to learn and how far my community needs to come and being accepting of two us lgbtq people and communities um so it's it's a lot better than it was when i was mm-hmm. a child and when it was when i was in high school like 15 years ago there's you know still a bit of bigotry and like homophobia and transphobia but things are changing which is really good. But all of this to say that um, these experiences sort of pushed me away out of mm-hmm. my community. And I remember being in high school and just telling myself, I can't wait to get out of here and to leave and go somewhere where I can just be me, mm-hmm. you know, and find my people. Mm-hmm. And that's what Toronto was for me. Like when I came here in 2007 for university, I really found, you know, like a queer community and really started becoming who I really am and became uh, comfortable with who I was. So I sort of have this relationship with my community and my family that I need to heal and realize that I have a lot of forgiving to do and I'm constantly on a journey of forgiveness, but I still have trauma and I still get triggered when I go home and I get really anxious because even up until very recently, I have experiences from I, I experience bigotry and discrimination yeah. and people not understanding. And so I don't want to say like my family's always telling me, my mom's always telling me like, we love you. We welcome you. We don't want you to feel like you're um, not accepted or you're, you know, you're not, we don't love you. And I was like, yeah, well that's true. But also I have experiences that make me feel not safe. And my friends also always telling me you got to come home more. And it's, it's sad when my family and my friends tell me that, they miss me and they really want me to come home, but it's hard to tell them that I don't feel safe there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something I'm trying to heal and realize that I can't let individual experiences and people reflect on the whole for my community. So it's an ongoing um, relationship that I'm trying to heal. But having found myself in Toronto, I call Toronto my home. Um, you seem to be doing a lot of work and you seem to be doing, you know, with such grace, even though you've gone through a lot. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I feel like 
kudos to you. You're doing so much. Yeah, thank you. And again, you know, like being a positively optimistic person, <laughs> as I usually am. But I've called Toronto my home because I've really found myself here. Mm. I just came into myself. I've like just I found myself here and my people and my community. And it's really given me the strength and the support that I needed to thrive and to, to feel accepted and to feel embraced and loved and celebrated, which is amazing. Um, and I want that in my community, um, on Six Nations, on the reserve. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so I, I call Toronto my home. And the thing is, I've been living here for like 13 years, which is pretty soon it's going to get to a point where I've been living in Toronto just as long as I lived on the res. So mm -hmm. um, I do feel like this is my home. So yeah, I have a home here and I have a home on the reserve. And what's great about it is, you know, there's things there in my community on my reserve that have shaped me, like my teachings, my family, like, you know, I'm a city minded girl, but I'm a res girl at heart. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. I'll always be a res girl, but also like when I'm in Toronto, I'm very like cosmopolitan and very like um, in the community and very like when I go home, I think my friends and family conceive of me as like a city girl now. Like I'm so like they make comments <laughs> yeah, where yeah, just yeah. like, you know, my friend was like, I know you're like the queen of the pride parade, but you know, <laughs> you're I mean, still. You, are. you, you were. You I were, was. Literally were. And, and then when I'm here, it's like, well, I'm still, you know, I'm still from my community. I'm still Nguyenhoi. I'm mm -hmm. still a res girl. So. There's this dichotomy sometimes or like this split between these two worlds, but I want them to merge at one point. And I want to have like queer community or like support on my reserve where I can be on my res and around my family and be like feel safely me mm. and like being trans and two-spirit, but I can still be there. But here in Toronto, I also want to be able to, to feel like I'm still connected to my roots and who I am and my teachings, which I do. So I, you know, I go to ceremonies here. There's teachings, there's gatherings, there's yeah. things. And I have my own like little, uh, my space is my, my home. My apartment is my, my sacred space. It's where my altar is. I do my own little, you yeah. know, practices there. Yeah, that's, yeah. So you are, you are building within yourself, within your home, maybe the kind of space that is that both that combines all your different like yes. um, spaces? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's powerful. That's and you're. I think one of the things that um, I was excited to talk to you about for this reason in particular is that you're building. Uh, you know, I remember a few years ago you posted something on the on Facebook or something where you were talking about you had just gotten this go job with Coroner and you were on the set and you were just like the the possibility is there. Yeah. You know, the possibility of having success, having, having, going through all these things and still having your dreams come true. So I want to, I want to thank you for living that for all of us. Thank because you. Because it, it matters, you know, ah. uh, uh, it, it make, it, it shows us all that it's possible because you're not alone. You know what you're saying, what you're doing, you're not alone. Uh, it may feel that way, but um, I know there are lots of people, people listening here are, you know, in, in, around the world are, who feel you. Thank you. And, you know, I forget that sometimes uh, I stay in the bubble of my own mind. And sometimes if I'm too much in myself, I can start having these weird, again, like existential moments where I'm like, who am I? What am I doing? And, you know, like I've overcome a lot when I was on Corner in my first season. Um, mm -hmm. I overcame a lot. Like I, I dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome, which I've never talked about before. Mm. But just like being an indigenous person and being trans when... You know, like when you're the only person of color in a room or when mm -hmm. you're the only trans person or the only queer person, mm -hmm. it can feel isolating. And that's not how it was on Corner. Like, it's so diverse. There's right. so much racial diversity. There's um, even like the writers and the creators, there's people who identify within the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. So many people of color. Some of my castmates are also like in the in the community, queer community. Mm -hmm. But it was my own thing of having to like overcome that. But I have and I'm... I've worked through it, but what I don't realize and what I forget sometimes is how important it is in terms of representation. And I forget sometimes that I'm in a sense leading, you know, leading the way or 
mm-hmm, you are doing important things. So it's nice to hear that. Thank you for that validation. You are. I mean, not only, I mean, I also, and I mentioned this to you before, I was an intern on the first season of Coroner. I came right out of film school and I was interning uh, and I was in the writer's room with some those people. Uh, shout out to Natalie Young-Lai. Yes, Natalie Young-Lai. <laughs> Natalie. Love Natalie. Um, and I remember when I heard that you were cast and I was like, I was so excited because I was like, oh, this is a person. I, I mean, we hadn't met, but I knew you in the community. I knew who you were. And I was very excited. And I, for this reason, exactly. Because when you're in those rooms, we may not be there with you, but we are there with you. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I, my next question is actually really about that. I mean, because you, I mean, I remember many years ago watching your first like sh- film about your transition, short film. Yes. A- in community um, spaces, you know, uh, <laughs> I saw you perform at Pride. Like before, you were, you know, you what, what was what was the title that you had on for the 2017? film? Oh yeah, twenty seventeen. I was Parade. the uh, the Pride Youth Ambassador. Right. Before <laughs> you were the Pride Youth Ambassador, but like years before that, I remember seeing you on stages performing at Pride, and so I, you know, I think of you as this you're definitely a member of our cutie BIPOC community, but now you're like big time. You're like <laughs> in it, you were in the, the new it movie. Yeah, it, chapter uh, two. Yeah. yeah. Chapter two. And, uh, you're at CBC's, which is a, the largest Canadian network, uh, the biggest Canadian network, uh, on its really big hit show coroner as River Bates, who's a pathologist. That is also in a way straddling worlds, right? Like, and that isn't also in a way because you know, and, and the industry, you know, there are people who are, who really get it, but there's also a lot of overall in general we can say that it's an industry that centers, at least in power spaces, who has the power has like this pretty white, pretty cis, and pretty male, and even sometimes the analysis of justice and you know people are talking about diversity a lot, but like it's kind, it feels thin, it feels, it yeah. feels not as rooted yes um and so i wonder how you hold on to your vision how do you hold on to yourself and while wanting to absolutely pursue your ambition and perform on big stages and have your stories heard and be be there in the big stages how do you how do you straddle those worlds so i think i entered the film industry and started acting at a really crucial important time and I think it was the right time. I think my success, a lot of it is partly, it's partly being talented. It's partly having the training. It's having... And you've, you know, you've trained a lot, it sounds Yeah, like. thanks. Thank you. I went to theater school. I was in theater school when I got the and audition. Active, and I'm, yep, always training. We got to keep, keep the craft sharp, you know? Totally. But my point is, like, my success, I attribute to, yes, part, part talents, part um, training, professionalism, having a good agent, but also... A lot of it, I think what actors don't talk about, and I'm just going to say, I've told myself I'm going to start talking about this, being attractive, having pretty privilege, which is messed up, but that gets you through the door. But at a certain point, it's who you know, Mm -hmm. and it's being in the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. and a heavy dose of luck. And I felt like I really, sure, like the producers and the showrunners saw something in me, saw some sort of potential, but... I think on a larger, like, universal spiritual level, it was just, I was in the right place at the right time. And also in the industry, like, um, so much has changed. There's been such a push for representation and diversity and inclusion that really started online. Like, having the internet and having the voice of the population online, holding people accountable, speaking up in what they wanted to see, and then having all of these movements, like, uh, you know, there's been such an influx in trans, um, like, discussion or dialogue about representation. And there's been, like, in the past five years, so much more better trans roles and trans rep- right. representation. It's almost like a trans renaissance or, like, a uprising, like, movement happening and. The wider um, in society, in pop culture, but in film and TV, in terms of representation, same for Indigenous. I feel like we need more of a push for representation there. Um, but also like movements like Black Lives Matter and then Me Too. Mm-hmm. I think all of these factored into this huge, what's the word I'm looking for? Like an environment or an air of responsibility and accountability and expectation to do better so before yes like like the the way it was like the status quo 
was very much like an old boys club. A lot of the, the people in power, you know, studio network executives, producers, directors, writers um, are often white, cisgender, straight males with privilege. And if those are the people in charge of telling our stories, we're not going to get great representation. And we haven't mm-hmm. had great representation speaking as an indigenous woman and as a transgender woman. But now with all of this movement and this um, change and this push for um, more authentic, proper representation and diversity and inclusion, there's been a shift. There's a shift in power that's happening where like the pendulum is swinging the other way. And what's great about a show's like corner that I'm on, like the showrunners and the producers are mm-hmm. women like Morwen um, Brebner. Brebner and Adrian Mitchell. And then the writers like Natalie young and there's so many, um, you know, motion and there's, there's a lot. So yeah. it's so it goes to show what you can produce when the people making the decisions and the people with power are women, people of color, like BIPOC and queer. And, yeah. and that's how a role is written. Like River Bates, who is written as a transgender woman, mm-hmm. but it's not weirdly like fetishized in mm-hmm. the narrative. Like mm-hmm. it often is mm-hmm. in other stories. She's just doing her job, which is amazing. That has inspired me to do my own work because I've been so frustrated as a trans indigenous actor performer with a representation, Mm -hmm. you know, like with certain roles that come in, um, I feel it's very limiting. It's getting better, but I'm, I, it's still limiting and Mm -hmm. I get frustrated. I'm just like, when am I going to have like my amazing opportunity? And what I realized is I can't wait. I'm not going to wait for somebody to hand me an opportunity. I'm not going to wait for some like cisgender straight male dude to write an amazing role for a two-spirit character or Mm -hmm. to write an amazing transgender or indigenous narrative probably won't happen anytime soon and if it does it's probably going to be a really messed up representation so it's like you know what i have to be the one to write my own stories i have to write my own opportunities create my own opportunities Mm -hmm. so that's what i started doing I, as I like to say, I'm writing myself in, I'm creating scripts for myself. I'm, and that's what I started doing. So aside from acting, I started learning about getting back into filmmaking because I made that short film a long time ago in 2012. Mm -hmm. So I, I've learned about script writing, directing, producing, and I just uh, secured, you know, funding to create my first short film, which is in a, a trilogy cast myself yes wrote it i'm gonna co-direct it producing it co-producing it amazing and then i just won this award uh the mickey tv diverse screenwriters award through the toronto screenwriting conference which i'm so thrilled and so grateful about and now i'm developing my own tv series with all trans women of color yes um so it's like you know we have to write ourselves in and write each other in and i have to be the one who's going to write proper authentic representation for who we are totally and show the world who we are because you know show don't tell (laughs) i mean it's it's an experience to be had and uh, who better to do it than you i think that's amazing and um i mean i want to say a couple things one shout out to bipoc film and tv which in in toronto here has done a lot of work in shifting the landscape and so important um who's headed who started by natalie young lai and that that has been that they have been at the forefront of in in Toronto shifting the landscape. And also, I wanted to talk about what you were saying about River Bates, the character you play in Corner, is that she's not fetishized, but so, uh, and she's told in a way that's different from how many trans women trans women characters have been told in the past. Um, and so, I want to talk to you about that because you wrote an article that was a trans version of the Bechdel test. Yes. And so, tell us about that. Tell us what the May test is. Okay, so um, as I mentioned before, like having, being frustrated with the way trans people are just focusing on trans um, representation, you know, I get really excited when I hear there's a movie or a TV show or a character that's trans. And first of all, it breaks my heart when a role of a transgender woman is portrayed by a cisgender white straight male. Yep. It's really alarming. Um, that's a whole other discussion, but point is, I don't like it. And there's no need for it also. There's really not. Like yeah. we, hello. 
yeah we we're here we exist hire yeah. us cast us <laughs> totally. um so anyway so just like basically whenever i see and even if the character is a transgender portrayed by a trans actor or a trans performer the representation is often really messed up because they're written the stories are written and the, the directors and producers are cisgender they're straight mm. and um it's still like a really skewed representation that often relies on um, problematic stereotypes or tropes or cliches. And having watched a lot of films and TV shows with trans characters, I sort of started to see a pattern of the way trans people were represented. And it was often that trans people were victimized, mm -hmm. fetishized, and sexualized. So often trans characters are victims. They're always assaulted or experience some sort of violence or they're discriminated against because of who they are. And I don't know how many times I've lost count of how many trans characters with a bloody nose I've seen. It's like a bunch mm -hmm. of writers just got together in the room and just decided, let's give all of these trans characters a bloody nose. Like you can mm -hmm. see it in so many TV shows and movies mm -hmm. or they're just somehow you know, assaulted or they're depressed or tragic, um, you know, victims that their life um, is a struggle or right. if they do exist in a story, their whole narrative arc is about them being trans and about yeah. their transition and their struggle with their identity or how people don't accept them or that trans characters are loveless or not lovable or they're just sexual objects and oftentimes depicted as addicts or sex workers and I love sex workers. I, um, I did sex work actually for like a minute a long time ago, but realized mm -hmm. it wasn't for me. But in that time, you know, met a lot of sex workers and activists in the community. Mm -hmm. So like I have a lot of love for them. So there's no shade to sex workers at all, but it's the idea or the um, repeating a narrative that that's what trans characters are because mm -hmm. trans women are often depicted as such and mm -hmm. some people some trans women are sex workers but not everybody is and the problem comes when that's the only way we're predicted totally. or that's how we are always depicted I mean yeah so all of that just I again a lot of what I do what motivates me is like frustration and this need to like want right. to do better and make things better so I wrote this article that one was for Huffington Post right or Vice. or Vice. No, Vice. I sorry. think it was Vice. I, I do. <laughs> I get them mixed up sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, that one was for Vice. And I was like, okay, well, I knew what the Bechdel test was, which is basically like a media representation test to see how women are depicted mm -hmm. in film. And there's like this criteria, like if two women talk to each other about something other than a man, and sometimes they have a name. Right. Which is really simple, but is, you know... It's still something that so many movies failed at. It's yeah. actually amazing how many movies failed Well, at. a lot of women in, in film and TV exist as like a plot device for men, like they're manic pixie dream girls or something. Yeah. <laughs> like why can't, yeah. It's true, it's true. And it's terrible, but I realized, well, I want to sort of create something like that, but for trans representation. Yeah. And, you know, when that article was released, I got a lot of feedback. It got like almost a thousand shares on Facebook when I shared it, which was amazing. <laughs> but I read a lot of comments. Oh, no. about it like most of it was positive okay but of course there were some hateful you know yeah. trolly comments as you can expect but some people were like oh i remember this one cis guy was like oh well here is another test designed to make us fail and i was like well <laughs> so fragile yeah right and i even mentioned within the article that this is not like a test meant to be like prescriptive or to like design to you know make people you know, fail or whatever. It was just to start a conversation and to get people thinking critically and to analyze how they're writing. It was sort of like a call out to screenwriters and directors right. and producers and casting directors about, think about how trans people are portrayed. Are you part of the problem or are you going to be a solution and to please mm -hmm. do better? So, but it, again, you know, taking my own advice and applying it, that's really also what pushed me into becoming a screenwriter and mm -hmm. a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. uh, so can we just quickly, this, the seven, uh, there are seven tenets to the May test. Yes. Right? Uh, oh yeah, the May test. I named it after myself, as you did. As you should. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's yours. Just so our listeners know and can test the movies they watch. 
the trans character has to be portrayed by a trans uh, transgender actor uh, should be safe stable and secure not homeless assaulted or victimized no more bloody noses as you were saying uh, should be thriving healthy and happy uh, and in love lovable and dating not just like some lonely r- romantic pariah uh, a trans identity is not used as a joke or a surprise reveal gag an occupation that isn't sex worker dealer or thief uh, a storyline that is not solely about the transition or surgery or struggle with their identity so now people know yeah now people know and you know i've gotten some pushback about those criteria which is fine i i welcome it because again i just wanted to create a conversation yeah. and a lot of even like trans people were commenting on my article it's like well some of us are addicts and some of us are struggling some of us are sex workers and you know yeah. we don't want to be like erased and in i've replied in in some ways but also really took that feedback um in and i think this ties back into that toxic positivity i was talking about earlier and mm. my intention was to never like erase those experiences of maybe like i've struggled as i mentioned i was a sex worker for a minute i have depression i was an addict at one time mm-hmm. but that's not all we are so my point in creating this test and that criteria was not to you know erase or to ignore those realities or experiences a lot of people have but to shift the narrative to right. something to show that you know we're not just struggling mm-hmm. we are so much more than that that some of us are happy and some of us are thriving and in love and my want in focusing on that was to show trans people as happy as being successful and in love and lovable and dating mm-hmm. as a response to the way we've been depicted all along which has been really problematic right. i mean there should be some balance to what has already yes. happened right like there's a lot of stories about what you were talking about yeah there's there's room for both in all of those experiences right. but most of it has been negative and pessimistic and tragic and it's time to have time to let us shine and be happy and be in love and be superheroes and yeah, exactly being the leading lady and the romantic lead totally which That's, i mean is what i'm doing for myself cannot <laughs> wait to see that that's amazing um I mean, okay, so I wanted to talk, because you mentioned early in the interview that you are a multidisciplinary artist who, like, are always doing a bunch of projects at the same time, and you mentioned that you're writing a book. Yes. And uh, so, you know, aside from all, you know, being a public speaker and an actor and performer, also now going to be a published author, very exciting. It's called uh, How to Love a Trans Girl. Yes. Um, so give us a taste. How should people love trans girls and women, and how do you want to be loved? Okay. So I just uh I just signed my book contract which is very recently which is really exciting because before I got into acting and public speaking and performing and doing all of this stuff my first dream was to be a writer mm. which is why I went to journalism school and I wanted to write a book for so long and I feel sort of I got sidetracked with acting in the film industry and you know public speaking but now that I got this book deal I feel like I've come back to my roots of mm. who I am like as a writer. Very exciting. finally getting the book i wanted for a long time so just signed my deal um the tentative title is how to love a trans girl pretty sure that's what it's going to be i'm going to push for it yes um there's a subtitle we're still working out but you basically said it here now yes so. <laughs> i'm affirming it into existence yes so the reason i wanted to call it is sort of like a like i said still working it out but part memoir part how to book mm. like dating advice for transgender women and for the men who love us like mm-hmm. men who are trans attracted and you know like i just wanted to draw from my 10 years almost 10 years of dating as a trans woman mhm oh my gosh so many stories so many experiences beautiful ones terrible ones but i just sort of you know people comment a lot or remark about how confident i am or how because i talk about loving myself all the time mm. and it was not always that way i spoke it into existence i made it a thing i've learned to love myself which is a long difficult journey and you know i've had people before tell me like how have you gotten to that place i want to be there i want to do that and i was really thinking i feel like my whole life a lot of people are told you just have to learn to love yourself you have to love yourself right. or you know you need to love yourself before 
you can love anybody else or mm. before anybody else can love you. And it's like, well, no. nobody tells you how to love yourself. Right. You know, it's like everyone knows they're going to grow up to be an adult, but no one gives you a guidebook on how to adult. Mm. So I was like, well, I want to write a book about how I learned to love myself just to impart that those things that I've learned. Mm. So partly the book is about, you know, addressing trans women inspiring self-love self-admiration you know things you can do to feel better about yourself to start adoring and cherish cherishing yourself and then the next part is about advice on how to navigate relationships mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sex and relationships and dating particularly in this online technological world we yeah. live in oh my gosh, online dating can be so terrible and toxic. It's, it's the wild west out there. Mm -hmm. And then the final part is addressing trend, uh, no, men who are attracted to trans women or trans attracted men because this is a conversation I also want to start. There are so many men and people who are attracted to trans people or trans women particularly and who have a lot of internalized shame and stigma. Right. There's like a lot of secrecy that, you know, um, I would like to shed light on and get people to start talking about to destigmatize and to normalize trans love so yeah the book is called how to love a trans girl to teach trans women mm -hmm. i just say girl because it's like how i conceived myself mm. i transitioned in 2012 so in a lot of ways i still feel you know not a girl not yet a woman <laughs> <laughs> yes britney spears no. <laughs> in here i love it <laughs> so you know how to love a trans girl for trans women love themselves how to love trans women while dating and yeah and I wanted to focus on love to mm. to again put that focus into a place of love instead of just love or, or instead of just sex or you know dating just to send that message out into the world mm. that we are lovable and we are in love yeah how, how do you what makes you feel loved I've had to do that myself you know, like okay. I'm in a relationship, I've been in a relationship for like four years with a man that I love. He loves me. I love him. That's great. But I've learned to detach myself from needing men or relationships or other people to validate me or to mm. make myself feel accepted. Um, and I used to, like I used to be really codependent and have, you know, relationships with men where I needed that validation or I needed them to love me. Or I needed that from an external source. And uh, through a lot of healing and counseling and work on myself, mm -hmm. I've just, I, I don't need that anymore. And there was a time where I really needed that from my family. And, you know, like I have struggles with like not having father figures in my life. And mm -hmm. all of these experiences just really pushed me into a place where I need to rely on myself. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you can't rely on people, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, it's nice to like say family and friends and real partners will always be there. But um, I can rely on myself. You know, I'm always there for myself. And so that's what I do now. Like I, I've worked on it. And so how I've done that will be like in my book, all of these things I've done over the years, practices. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, yeah, so I've just really made sure that I'm, you know, yeah, I'm my own person. I'm my own ride or die. Like I'm, you know, like... Yeah. My own Bonnie and Clyde. Maybe that's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and right men, relationships, family, friends are just like, they're there. I love them and it's nice to have them, but I'm there for myself. Yeah, you have like a foundation. Yes. Other things <clears throat> can build on top of that. That's, yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, if, is there support that you want to receive more from the community, from the people who are listening? There's something that you want to receive yeah, I feel like I've been celebrated a lot or for the public speaking that I do or just like showing up in, I think earlier on, a lot of people just saw me as like this fabulous, beautiful person. And I was like, yes, beautiful, fabulous. And I was like, well, that's nice. It's nice to be celebrated, to be seen. Mm. But I want to sort of like just shift away from who... I guess just like a stage persona or like a, a persona yeah, 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 and have people support my art and support mm -hmm. my work. Now that it's like a, I'm really coming into a place where I'm really trying to like focus down on being 
the change that I want to see and writing these stories and, you know, screenwriting, directing, producing. So now the support I would love from community, particularly people who are allies or who want to be allies, mm-hmm. support my work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not just me, but any trans person, any BIPOC person, support our work, promote us, you know, donate to us our causes um, and lift us up, gas us up, you know, like totally. talk and support us, like watch our shows, you know, you know, be there for screenings or buy my book when it's out and just like everyone, you know what to do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so support the art, support the craft and support the person on their journey in their career, um, yeah. in their artwork. So, so yeah, less, less about me being fabulous and beautiful and more about me being a really amazing artist and mm-hmm. great writer and, you know, storyteller and tell the world how talented I am. So it shall be. Can't wait. <laughs> and also, I want to say, I feel like there is a community excited for you for you doing and we i know i know there are many people like me who are thrilled to watch you do your art projects to live your three-dimensional artistic practice in any way that you want because it's very exciting and you're you're paving the way for many people undoubtedly so thank thank you you. uh and i mean on that on that note if you i don't know if you think about legacy but do you do you you do i do not so what do you want your legacy to be I would like to be known and be remembered for being a light in this world, being a kind person, Mm. being fun, but also helping people. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, the people throughout history or our story who really inspired me are the people who really in their lifetime did so much for their community or did things that changed the course of history or contributed to larger movements who maybe in their time while they were alive weren't appreciated or the importance of their work or their actions weren't acknowledged or seen or understood but later celebrated. I just want to be known as someone having contributed to making the lives of people better and safer and just easier you know and all of the the work that I do as an activist as an educator as a public speaker you know it's scary sometimes and it's hard like being an open book putting myself Mm. out there sticking my neck out there and I do it not just for my ego a small part of it is my ego but (laughs) but for the most part what guides me is um, bringing me back to my Haudenosaunee teachings is the seven generations teachings, Mm -hmm. how everything that we do, all of the decisions that we make is not just for ourselves, our family, our community, or our nation here. Mm. We should also think about the seven generations that are coming in the future and an acknowledgement that the actions and decisions we make now will not just affect us, but it's going to have an echo effect seven generations Mm -hmm. um, that will come after us. So everything also that drives and motivates me is thinking about all of those younger generations that will come after me, you know, my own younger siblings, people in my community, you know, because there's a lot of like young trans-identified queer folks now, like young people in my community Mm -hmm. who are coming up and living their lives. And I'm, you know, there were periods where I kind of pushed back from being considered a role model or a leader or because, um, you know, I still like my Taurus moon, Taurus rising still likes my privacy and anonymity. Yeah. But it's just like there's a responsibility that comes with having a platform, being a public figure, being well known. So if I'm going to be remembered for anything and if I have a legacy, I hope it's for making the world a better place and making it easier and safer and more fun to exist for the future generations. I mean, I have no doubt you're doing that now. So, and I want to really, really thank you for taking the time uh, for, I'm, this is like the only in-person COVID time interview we've done. <laughs> and I'm so glad we were able to do this with you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it, was, it was my honor. That 
was our guest, Kali May. I want to once again thank Kali for her brilliance and vulnerability. We love you and are forever rooting for you. The music in this episode is by the incredible Toronto bands Pantayo and Lal. You can find both Lal and Pantayo albums on Bandcamp. They are incredible artists doing really great work and deserve all your support. You can follow us on Instagram at Possibilities Podcast. And you can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash possibilities podcast. We are an independent podcast and your support at whatever level is possible for you would be hugely impactful for us. The next week's episode is going to feature a possibility conversation with the legendary Patrick Salvini. You don't want to miss that conversation. This episode was edited by Mari and it was produced by Kumari Giles. I'm your host, Among Andrik Sagar. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really grateful for your time. Until next week. Bye.